Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sue Costello. Hi, everybody. It's me, Sue Costello. Here we are in the Boogie Down Bronx. Me and Walker. I think I'm hitting my stride. I'm really enjoying this, you guys. Thank you for listening. Okay, so this episode, we're going to talk about at and commerce. You know what we're going to talk about, though? We're literally going to go back over my career because what I realized yesterday when I was talking to the, this uh, um, this guy who wants a TV showrunner, we were talking about my career and we were talking about being a woman and everything because it's so timely now. And we were talking about how, it, how I'm not even seen almost in what I've done. And I was telling him how with the New York Times article, when that woman came to me with Louie, I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about like, there's a lot of women who have done a lot of things, but but it's almost like we're not even seen for it. It's bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. So anyway, so maybe we have to say it. Maybe we have to like kind of own it a little bit too. There's a little bit of owning things that have to go on. And I was just, uh, just thinking back and I've been talking a lot about my early career and how I had my TV show and everybody knew I had tons of TV deals and and I just kept doing them. I just kept, I would show up and I would tell all my stories and I wasn't looking for like money. I wasn't looking for fame. I was looking to, to I wanted to work. I always love to work. I'm blue collar. I like to work. I've always had a job. I'm telling you, I like, I used to work at Durgan Park. I was thinking the other day, like I've had like a million jobs. I worked at McDonald's. We've told the McDonald's story. I worked at Durgan Park. I was thinking about this whole health insurance thing. And I always talk about how I used to, my jokes used to be very like, they're more relevant now than they ever were. I remember when I first started doing stand-up, I worked at Dorgan Park, which is a restaurant in Boston where you have to be a wise-ass. So I was, it was perfect for me. You got more tips the bigger wise-ass you are, and I loved it. I would just be a smart-ass to everybody. I loved it. And so I would work on my stand-up when I was there too. And so, but I remember there was like, there was one woman who was like a horror. She was such, she was so angry. And I was so young, and she was so angry. And of course, my people please. And I always tried to get her to like me, and she was not having it. She was not having it. And I remember one day she came in and she kept smiling at me. She kept smiling at me. And I was so freaked out by it because she had hated me up until this point. And I remember I asked somebody, I was like, why is, I forget what her name was, Dorothy or something. I go, why is Dorothy smiling at me today? And like, she's not smiling. I go, what is she doing? She, they go, that's her new dentures. She, she didn't have any health insurance. So the doctor gave her someone else's dentures and they didn't completely fit her mouth. <laughs> She has like a permanent smile. It's like totally like comma. Like, yeah, now you have to have a smile, lady. Oh, my God. But that's what's going to start happening around with our health insurance and everything. We're all going to be walking around with big dentures and like stuff like hearing aids that don't fit in our ears and everything. Oh, they left this behind. The rich people left it behind. Great. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So I so the work, the idea of working, like I love to work. And I also love to like entertain people. Like I love my my modus operandi with entertaining people has always come from a bit of people pleasing, but also from like, I want people to feel good. I love it. And if I could use my talent to make people laugh and like lighten up a little bit, I mean, what's better than that? I mean, anybody will tell you in the whole world, they'd love to laugh. Who doesn't want to laugh? I never met anybody. Even the, even the guy, it's so, and the way people turn it, I'm always fascinated. I'm really realizing like how people can't listen to people. But that's what I want to talk about, art and commerce. Like, how do you not listen to people but still express yourself but still get people to be your fans or whatever? It's such a bizarre thing. Like, how do you do it? Because I think you have to find out who you really are inside, which is, it's quite a journey. But once you do, it works. Because then it's coming from the expression of just needing to express yourself as opposed to that control thing like I talked about uh, last week about the idea of, like, controlling people's response to you. Like, you can't, like, you just have to express yourself to express it and let it go. And that's actually the most freeing thing you could do as a, for me as an artist because then I'm not worried. It's more pure because then I'm really being an artist too. 
so this woman was interviewing me for some magazine, for some interview from some show I was doing. And I was telling her that I was saying how much I'd love to make people laugh. And I said, even when I was little, there was a grumpy, grumpy, grumpy guy in the train station. He was so grumpy. And he was, ugh. And every day I would walk through and I would say, hi. And he would ignore me. And I'd be like, hi, how you doing? And I would keep walking. And I'd say, hi, how you doing? And one day he clicked. And he let me in for free. And I remember the reporter said to me, oh, was that your intention? Is that what you were doing? And I remember it caught me so off guard. And I was like, no, no. And I was like, what? Is that how people think? Like, and how much I had must have let people again the, their narrative. I must, I must have just been scared. I was like, no, that's not what my intention was. And I've always been freaked out by like people projecting their intentions on me. I'm like, no, I was, I really just wanted to make the guy smile. And it was kind of like a mission for me too. Like, or he never had to smile. That's the truth. It wasn't even see how I'm saying. I'm like, it was, it wasn't a mission for me. I purely just wanted to say hi to the guy. And, and, and that's what I'm trying. That's if you want to know what I'm doing with my career right now, it's going back to that little girl with everybody else who could be grumpy as they want to be and still say, hi, hi, how you doing? Even if they're grumpy and not letting other people's behavior dictate who, how I feel inside, which brings me to this art and commerce thing and this whole, this idea of like how I'm seeing like, okay, so you have your family, then you have high school, then you have your job, then you have your neighborhood, then you have the, and so it's all can be very similar in the sense of like how putting you in a box. Like if you really think about like the American dream, the American dream is get a house. Like you, we're always putting ourselves in boxes. Like even when I was doing with the TV show, I was putting myself in a box. I would go and I would tell all these stories and I didn't know, I didn't know that everybody couldn't tell 47 stories in a, in a day. And kill, like I had no, I wasn't nervous in front of these people. I remember I smoked cigarettes. Dean Valentine was the head of Disney. I had borrowed clothes from the old ladies and I was teaching aerobics too because that's, I didn't have any money. I had $3,000 in the bank. I always had $3,000 in the bank. And if it went below that, I could, I had to put the $3,000 back. And I was living in New York City, teaching aerobics, doing stand-up, hiding myself because I didn't want anybody to see me because I knew I wasn't emotionally ready. So I knew I did not want even to be, and they saw me by accident. All the guys from Luna Lounge saw me by accident at Caroline's with the old ladies in the audience. And I, that's what happened. And they took that tape. I got a manager. The manager got me the agent. Next thing you know, I was in LA on a plane, first class with the old ladies' clothes on, going to pitch all these people, tell them all my stories of growing up. Dean Valentine, he had a big cigar box. And he was like, I said, oh, he had a humidor or whatever. I said, oh, I like cigars. And I remember he just looked at me. Everybody's always looked at me like, like always. Like, where are you from? And he's like, you want to smoke cigars? I'm like, yeah. So we went out on the balcony, headed Disney, my agent, me, and my suit. And we smoked cigars in the lounge chairs outside. And I remember him looking at me and he's like, how much do you cost? And I was like, I don't know, ask them, which that was the worst move ever, sending it over to them, the vultures. <laughs> but I didn't know. <laughs> but I mean, even look at that scene. Like, that's like a scene in itself. They should have just made a TV show about that. You, you put that on TV and people are like, that wouldn't happen. I'm like, it did happen. And I remember being in CBS and I took the um, CBS page jacket because I was cold and I put that on and I was telling them all my stories. I'm like, I'm like, like a little cartoon character is the only way I can describe it. But I had no handle on, I almost had to learn the business aspect so that I could protect myself from what goes on. I, I was completely like, you want to talk about the, the hen in the wolf house? No, that they say the wolf goes in the hen house. I'm the hen that went into the wolf house. Like, hey, how's everybody doing? And you want to talk about mommy issues, like and daddy issues. Like I was like, oh, 
finally, and that's what they do with the fame thing. Oh, finally, I'm going to, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to have so much money and I'm not going to have to worry and everybody's going to think I'm great. And no, well, that's not what I, I mean, you give somebody who has no, I always think about this with the ball plays, like the football plays and the basketball plays. Like you give somebody who has no money, a lot of money, and it is painful because you, you have all, you get guilt, you get all this like, if you have your family, you feel like you should take care of everybody. You have no idea how to handle. You don't even know who you are, what you want to buy. I didn't even know what I like to eat for food. I had no idea. I didn't know. And that's what the art comes in. Like I started educating. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know that I liked to go to the museum. I didn't. I was like straight from Boston from working at Durgan Park. Like I didn't had no idea who I had not really lived on my own really a lot. I didn't know. I just had no idea who I was. So you get this money and it's like, I remember what my, I told this on uh, Adi Lang's podcast and they went crazy over it. Uh, all the guys, I, I went to my high school reunion and it was at a ch- Chinese restaurant and they were all drinking scorpion bowls and they were eating Chinese food and I didn't have anything. I showed up, I had water, I didn't have anything and the bill came and they were like, it's like $75 and I know everybody's going to identify with this. When you go out to dinner with people and they order up a storm and then you have to split the bill. Oh no, she didn't. <laughs> the worst. The worst. But there are some people that actually do, that's like the game. That's like their whole thing. Like we're going out to dinner, I'm going to order up a storm, right? They, yeah. That's another boundary. It's really hard to say, you know what, I don't want to, I'm not going to pay for all your food. But I, because this is what happens. Remember I said you set the first boundary and then the second time they get even more mad. So I said, oh, I didn't eat anything. And my, this girl I went to high school with, why don't you pay the bill? You're the fucking movie star. That I see her in my head. Why I can see don't that girl. You pay the bill. You're the fucking movie star. <laughs> I I would have felt I would have I would have felt guilt. Look at that. I said I didn't need anything. And then she did that, and I would have been like, Oh, I have to. I'm the fucking movie star. I have to pay. I didn't pay. I didn't pay. I had my alligator arms that day. I was like, mm mm. Stop drinking your scorpion bowls and you'll have your own money. That's like that girl that attacked me in Reno. It's so, I never saw it. Like I walked on stage in Reno to headline the first night. It was a Tuesday night. I had just flown across the country. So I had been up since like four in the morning. I walked on stage and the girl's like, why is your stomach so skinny? Why is your stomach so skinny? And Dave, the, the MC will vouch for this. She lit, I was like, I hadn't even opened my mouth yet. I hadn't even proved myself to the club or anything. The audience was so tense. I was like, because I'm sick. <laughs> what did you say that you were sick with? <laughs> she did. Everybody thought I was really serious. Like, I was really sick. <laughs> I didn't even give her a beat. I go, because I'm sick. And she was like, oh, oh, oh. He, The guy was like, I never saw anybody handle a crowd like Sue Costello handled it. And then I was like, girl, I was like, lady, what are, you t- what are you doing attacking me? And she's like, what do you mean? She had like a, you know, a drink with like flowers in it and everything. And I played with her. I was like, kind of said to her, like, well, you might have a flat stomach too if you weren't drinking those big drinks, trying four seven. And then that's what I came up with slim slamming. I get slim slammed all the time, but you're not allowed to get slim slammed. Even I remember Ian Edwards, I was on the phone with him and he said that to me. He said that to me. He legitimately, he's an African-American comedian. He legitimately said to me, Sue, fat girls can say that to you because the oppressed can stand up to the oppressor. I was like, well, I didn't oppress girls that were heavier than me. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. But yeah, you can't. 
but slim slamming is a real thing. They slam you like, like cucamonga. Not all women. Women who struggle, I, I can, I understand yeah. it. I have compassion for it, but it's not okay to slim slam me. But then there's also like, I go to yoga every single day. I take care of myself, and it's like. And I remember I heard this girl tell the story, and it finally hit me. She said she was in high school, and she, she her therapist asked her, you know, what would what would you like to, uh, what would you like to be if you could be anything? And she said, thin. And her therapist said, well, you know that those women work out every day and they eat healthy. And she was like, I don't want to do that. And I remember what she said. I was like, oh, yeah, really? So this is, my point is not heavy, thin or whatever. It's the idea of like knocking somebody down because you're not willing to do what, what they do or whatever and, and, and feeding into it. Because I've always thought like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Get heavy to make people feel better? Like, no, that's not going to happen. And the same thing with the girl. Like, yeah, the fucking movie star. Like, stop. Don't attack me. That's not... I chose to do that. And I remember I had a friend when he, when I first moved to New York and he came down to see me and he's like, I could never live here. I could never live here. I could never live here. And I remember thinking, I didn't ask you to live here. I, I didn't, I didn't say you should have my life. I'm like, I'm just, you're just hanging out with me. And then you go back and do your life. But this idea of like, so that brings me back to the, to the family and the high school and the reason why a lot of people don't. And even some of those people that slim slam me probably get slammed themselves. So I'm going to defend it in that way too. Like everybody gets you can't do that. How many times they tell you how many, you should hear how many times during the day people are like, you can't do that, Sue. My 50, 50, 10. I'm going to do my 50, 50, 10. And everybody's like, you can't do that. I'm like, watch me. Watch me do it. That guy, the WikiLeaks guy had, had posted something a couple of weeks ago that he was uh, raising money for his legal team. And I'm like, oh yeah, see, he's doing it. See, the crowdfunding is going to be something because, so, because it, we need both of it. We need the corporations and we need the people. We need the people to work for the corporations and we need the corporations to have the corporations so people can work at it. But it's becoming so separate that I'm like, what's going to happen? I, like the guy who, who shut down all the magazines because they were going to unionize. Like a brat. Like he shut them all down. And I'm like, uh, who is going to buy the things that you are advertising in your magazine if the people that buy the things that you are advertising in your magazine don't have jobs to buy the things with? It hurts my brain. I'm like, you... He just took it, male ego, he just took it down. He didn't want them to unionize. He didn't want them to have power, so he took it down. So I'm like, okay, so what's going to happen? It's going to be four white men in suits living in this land with big, huge towers, castles, and we're all going to be dead on the streets around them. And that doesn't, how's that going to be a good life for them? It just doesn't, even, it hurts my, it hurts my lady brain. Hurts my intelligence. It does. I'm like, it's so stupid. We need all of it. We need people to be more wealthy. We need people to be less wealthy. We need people to be middle class. We need them all to be somewhere in the gradations, not black or white, not rich or poor, not for an economy to even sustain itself. We're taking ourselves down. That's what's going on. We're taking ourselves down. Even the rich guys. Because even you think about that taking away like the mental, uh, the, the, subsidies for like uh, mental health and everything. Like, what do you think is going to happen to these people's family? Like if you put those people on the street, they're going to come back at you and hurt you. Like you have to care for you. This whole lack of humanity gets me like, cause it hurts my intelligence. It's not like I'm sitting here on a high horse going, Oh, you should do this. It's like, no, it's hurting us. We keep hurting ourselves. And that then the solution is this humanity thing. The, the solution is to, so this whole idea of like, you can't do that. You can't do that. Everybody hears it all day. And then they, they tell people. And then if you do do it, then people get even more little, more uncomfortable because they're like, I, you're showing me that I can do it. And that's the, that's the even deeper because it's easy to be like, oh, they're telling me I'm going to do it. If they tell me I can't, then you're like, oh, I'm doing it. And then I'm like, oh, oh, they're like, stop doing that because then I have to do it because now you're breaking the mold of saying that that's not possible.
now I have to look at myself and decide whether or not I want to rise to the occasion. You know what I mean? But I feel like a lot that's a lot of the common theme that's going on and what I'm talking about on this podcast is this idea of being your authentic self means leaving other people to have to look at themselves and it it makes people look at themselves. Even if you're not, all I do is mind my business so I have business to mind. It's my favorite saying. I do it all day long and anytime I get off, it's just like meditating. When you meditate, you go back to the center. You go back to the center. You go back to the center. That's what my whole play is about. Keep going back to the center. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Because if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. If you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, that's just, that's it. There's no status quo. You can't just hang out. It's like you're either growing or you're dying. But this idea, and I remember being out to dinner with a couple of girls a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about all the TV stuff that was going on, uh, me being out in L.A., and, and the one thing they asked me was, how do you handle the jealousy? And I really sat there, and I was like, that's what holds people back. That's what they were worried about. They weren't worried about, like, how do you handle the business? How do you handle They were worried about the jealousy. How do you handle the jealous being jealous of others or how do you handle others being jealous of how, you? How do I handle how do I handle being successful and handle people being jealous of me? And I was like, that's their biggest fear. That's their biggest wound, is that they're afraid that be and I'm like, that's what I think everybody and it's like, who are they? That's it goes back to my whole thing of like when they say that getting old is bad. It's like everybody's afraid of getting old. I'm like, well, we all get old. A fear or something where you're supposed to be better than somebody usually means you have it and other people don't have it. I'm like, whoever invented the fear of getting old was dumb because they're getting old too. So now we just created a fear that we, we're all subjected to. It's just, again, hurts my intelligence. So this idea of like, how, how do you have this, how do you express yourself and still have people, you know, make money from it and have fans, but also not compromise yourself. And I think it applies to everyday life. So even if you're not an artist, I feel like it, and you work in an office or what, like how do you find that middle ground? And the middle ground is by this conversation and, and considering other people and not being so self-centered fear. So, so trapped in our own skin suits, as I describe it, like we're all so filled with fear that it's like, and then we just fight and then just go in our corners and like stay in instead of like having a conversation about how we get, to the middle. How do we talk to, how do we talk to the guys about what's going on? How do we talk to, okay, a corporation comes to me. It's not all them. That's what the world has turned into all corporation, like all their way, the highway on the plane. I'm on the plane. Yeah. I'm like, they don't even care about the customer. They don't care about any people. They just, it's all them money, 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 money. But I'm like, where does the money go? Like, where does it end? It doesn't end anywhere. And it's like, what, what this is. And we're, but I, and I'll go back to it. There's 99% of us. Why are we allowing it to happen? Why are we being like cattle? Why are we being like sheep? It's like people have been talking about sheep forever, but I think the sheep are getting more sleep. Think about it, you count sleep when you sh- you count sl- sheep when you sleep. It's like, go ahead. What do you yeah, think? no. Why why are we letting them call all the shots? Why? Because I don't think anybody has said to the people because everybody's trying to get to be the corporate person. Everybody's trying to be the billionaire. I'm not trying to be the billionaire. I'm trying to say, you guys. I need you. I don't want to be isolated on a mountain with everybody dead around me. I want, I need people. I need people to reflect back to me. I need people to show me what's going on so I can grow so that they can grow so that I can have love in my life. That, and that's the, the, this aversion to love. And I, I've always said it about even the TV. Like I used to watch TMZ and I'm like, how am I watching this thing that's hurting my body? And I'm saying, I want it. That's addiction. That is addiction right there. And I'm like, and I even say in my play, I think people respond to what you give them. I think you need to not underestimate the audience. I think people don't want all that 
junk, but you feel so beaten down. And if it's everywhere, where are they going to find a way to be like, you know what, I'm going to choose something different. Like who's going to, I mean, my personality, I was born with this energy. So I'm, I want to do something with it. Like I have like a very playful, very energized personality that I, and I love people. So if that's what I have, let's do something with it. What am I going to do? Just try to make money and stay in the, I mean, it's just, doesn't, <laughs> so yeah. So why aren't the people, why aren't we doing something about it? Cause everybody feels so beaten down. But if we got together and started supporting each other and having some bit of community where people could talk to each other and talk about being messy instead of putting on Instagram, how awesome they are and sitting in their bed in their pajamas and putting up an evening gown on the picture. I mean, think about how lonely and just torturous that is. You're home. You don't even have anybody to talk to. So what if you get jealous? Like, I'm not saying that those people shouldn't get jealous either. She said, how do you deal with the jealousy? People get jealous. I get jealous sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I get jealous. I, I was jealous of Louis C.K.'s success. I was like, I'm so mad that they just get to keep being successful, these guys. But I learned how to manage it, and I get to talk to people about it, and I learned how not to act on it because I allow this side of me to come up that is human, and that, that whole idea of, like, you're either all or nothing. You're either all good or you're all bad. And that's, I mean, that brings me to the art. So then I started to learn about art. After I like, I had made all the money and I was like, I, and I gave it all away because everybody was like, I had all these people representing me. I was like, this is, this isn't even what I want. I want to go deep inside and figure out who I am as a person and then become an artist and not care that much about, like everybody's like, Sue, you got to finish your thoughts on your podcast. Sue, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you have, a, um, what do they say? It's something at stake. I had three episodes at the time when they were saying this to me. Three episodes. Like, that's it. And everybody's like, what are you going to do? You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. What are you going to do when you have something at stake? It's like, calm down. Simmer down. It's the equivalent of, what do you call it? Skinny uh, slamming? Slim shamming? Slim slamming. (laughs) Slim slamming. (laughs) I bet there's some slim women out there that's like, yeah, say it too. But you know what? It's true that the people that slim slam were probably fat shamed. And the people telling you Mm -hmm. what to do on your podcast. Yeah have probably maybe been told at some point in their lives that they couldn't do something. Maybe there's something that they want to do. So they're projecting it on you. And that's what I'm talking about, about them saying, don't do it. Because if you do, it means that I've been telling myself that we can't do it. And when you do it, then I can't tell myself that I can't do it anymore. So that's why it's hard for everybody to do what they want to do, because everybody's telling them that they can't do it. So somebody has to be the person. And then that's what I mean by us being alone and together. So I had this idea of like, okay, how do we express express ourselves and be the same? And I think that's what it is. We're all the same inside. We're all human beings. We all have the same simple, simple, we need to sleep, we need to eat, we poop, we have sex, we live, we die, we breathe. That's Those are all common denominators. But I think it's the way that we express and think about stories, even my play. It's just another version. I have Wizard of Oz, hints to the Wizard of Oz in there. It's, and think about artists like Rauschenberg. I was thinking today about how uh, de Kooning gave Rauschenberg a, a p- painting of his. And Rauschenberg erased it. And I love that because it was like he was erasing. He's like, I'm the new man now. And it's like that became art. The erased painting became art. So it's like you take other people's, and it doesn't mean steal people's art, but everything's like a derivative, even fashion. It's like we're, nobody's really original because we're all the same inside. But it's the way that we tell the story. It's the way we express who we are inside that makes us authentic is what I think. So I think everybody's going at it backwards maybe and it's causing them pain. Like they, they feel so isolated that there's something wrong with them. But it's that thing that we think is wrong with us that is our connection. 
I'm going to let that sit there for a second. It's the actual thing that we think is wrong with us that makes it, that everybody has that would connect us. So it's shame in a way. There's like, I remember being in therapy and talking to my therapist about how I had this veil of shame in front of me and I needed to talk about it. Like, and I've heard people talk about it a lot lately, the shame of your own pure existence. Like, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. I'm sorry. I used to say it a million times a day. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. But then, so then that speaks to, so then I, so when I went to uh, the Mocha in LA, I went to see a Basquiat exhibit. I, I literally, I had such a physical reaction that I almost passed out and threw up at the same time in the middle of the museum. When I, first of all, I saw his uh, Tragedy of the Mississippi Bayou, which was a painting about what if uh, the black slave had the cure for cancer. And it just struck me so much like about, and then it said on the wall that a lot, um, all of his work was about the tragedy of the unrealized human potential. And then I thought, well, how, how ironic he OD'd on drugs and died. This guy was so talented. And I understand why artists do drugs and alcohol because they're very close to the connection, that, that, that God connection. And the closer you get, the more startling it is. You're like, and so you have to go back to the humanity. So that's what I talk about, that spiritual beings having a human connection. I mean, a human uh, experience because... There is something, there is a force. I mean, Star Wars is about it. It's like there is a force that's bigger than us. Michael Jackson used to talk about it. It's like there's a force that's bigger than us, but we have to manage it through this human body. So and that's what the whole play is about, going very slow and having reverence for being human beings and, and our human potential. Like what, how do we get to that potential and still have reverence and, and respect and dignity for the humanity, for the fact that we're human beings? It takes a long time is what it is. Is managing that vessel that so many artists have that's so open to the light, is that boundaries? Is that what you mean when you talk about boundaries? So you're, you're sort of managing both sides, the openness and then also creating boundaries so that you're re respecting yourself, right? You're taking care of yourself. Respecting and honoring the fact that you're a human being because that's why people go insane. They go further. They, they go further than what the human being is able to cap is capable of. How many people know the truth? Every single person listening to this podcast, I bet you would say to me, Sue, I've always known. I've always known inside. I don't know how to get it outside of me. I don't know how to express myself without being afraid that people are going to tell me I can't and feeding in it and not being strong enough to not do it. And what I would say is the way I did it was I would do it and then I'd take a nap. And I remember thinking, are you kidding me? I made one move and now I have to take a nap. But then guess what? I would get up from the nap and I would make another move and then I would take another nap and then eventually I only needed one nap and then I didn't need any naps. But I had to have the reverence for the humanity to be able to, and that was what I wanted to talk about. So art, so you put it out there. So in the uh, Pollock, like he didn't even become who he was. Those drippings, he didn't even, until late in his career and then he ended up having a car accident and dying. It's like, I understand that when that kind of source comes through your body. And I know people that even work in mechanics know what I'm talking about. They know what this source, this energy that's in your body, that it can be self-destructive or it can be productive. And, be, and figuring out a way to manage it is by, by respecting the humanity is at least my, my thoughts on that. And then being able to be provocative, but also considering others. That's what I started this whole podcast about so how do we do the commerce and that so so the commerce is taking over completely and crushing the artists it's like it's not gonna ha stop it's over without the artist the commerce doesn't have anything so the same thing with that guy with the magazines like it but but unless the artist the people the 
the middle class, the workers, whatever you want to call us, until we stand up, they're going to keep doing that. And until we ha we have that low self-esteem, that shame of our existence, because we don't do that. And that's what I, I remember when I said, I want to do like for empaths. I want to teach the empaths how to have balls. Like, that's what I mean by empaths. People that care, but don't want to do what they're doing, that greed. They don't want to do that, but they don't know how to stand up. It's like, that's how you do it. You stand up for what you believe. And even if somebody says you can't do that, then you rest. Then you do it again. And then you reveal yourself to somebody. You tell them, I'm a little jealous today. And if they say, don't be jealous, you're gross, go, all right. And you find someone else and you go, I'm a little jealous today. And then they go, I'm jealous too. Like it's this idea of like, the only way I can say is like that three times you have to set the boundary three times. Everything's threes with me. Like everything in my business is threes. It's like, you have to tell people three times for them to hear you. Sometimes I talk about things over and over in the podcast because it takes a little while for it to sink in. It's like, you have to set a boundary with somebody three times. The first one is so hard to set. You're so afraid to say to somebody, don't talk to me like that because they they don't either they don't listen or they puff up and scare you more. So then the second one is even harder. You're like, are you kidding me? It was so hard for me to set the first one. Now I got to set a second one. And usually you have to tell them a third time for it to become. And then for me, it's like I give people three chances. That's what I do. That's how I handle it. I give you three chances. That's how I consider other people and how I give space. Like that whole idea. I remember when we were dancing in Catholic school, they would say, leave room for the Holy Spirit. I'm like, they were onto something there because now I'm able to leave a little room for people and I'm able to take what you like and leave the rest, take the good. That's what this whole new DNA, this whole entertainment model that I'm coming up with is like taking all the good and building on that instead of the opposite. Because I have a lot of this goodness in me now and I want to like, and I don't mean goodness like good or bad. I mean like this, uh, this sustainable energy, this, this brightness that I want to be. And every time I call it forth in other people, it comes forth. I could, I've been around some of the darkest people and I've called forth their higher self and guess what? It's like they unzip this like Darth Vader costume and step outside of themselves. And they're like, it's like by freeing myself, I freed them. And lately I've been like, maybe that's how it goes. Maybe you don't control everybody and tell them what to do. Maybe you just free yourself. And people are like, ah, now I feel free. And you think enough of people. And that's what I, it's in the play. Don't underestimate your audience. I used to say that on my sitcom. Don't dumb them down. People let them, give them the gift. Give them the gift of figuring out a callback. A callback in stand-up is calling back something that you talked about earlier. And it's a gift to the audience because it shows, it's, it's generosity of spirit. It shows that you think enough of them, that they're smart. Then they feel, they feel awesome because you rose them to the occasion. They're like, I'm smart like the comic. I'm engaged. And it engages people. And this whole 50, 50, 10, like now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to try too. So all the shows that I'm going to put out in New York in the next couple of months, I'm going to do, I'm going to pay, people are going to pay for the tickets and then I'm going to have uh 10% of whatever they pay, raffle it off in the spot. So whoever's in the spot gets 10% of whatever I made on the tickets. I'm going to try that model too, to see if it's because then you have the money moving, you have the engagement, you have somebody win something, you have people coming alive. I want people to, I, this whole idea of everybody feeling so heavy and sad. I'm like, no, let's engage everybody. So I'm going to try that model too. So let's see. I don't know. I can do it too. I, no one, you can call me up. You can tell me I can't, but watch me. I do what I want. I'm Sue Costello. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for now. Ciao.